Before we get started, a quick disclaimer. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. Nothing you hear is an offer or a solicitation to buy or sell any investment. With that, hello and welcome to the Rangely Capital Podcast. I'm Andrew Walker, a portfolio manager at Rangely. And with me as always, my co-host and Rangely's founder, Chris Demuth. Today, we're going to start with a possible mega merger in the media space. And then we're going to move on to talk about unintended consequences from tax reform. Uh, so Chris, let's start with Fox. So it broke kind of a month or so ago that Disney and Fox had kind of started dancing around each other looking at doing a, a mega merger. This week, news broke that it, the merger is likely to be announced next week. It's going to be Disney buying not all of Fox, the majority of Fox, but the assets are going to include the big Fox studio, all of Fox's regional sports networks, the FX network, Fox's 30% stake in Hulu, and all of Fox's international assets. Fox will be left kind of with the big Fox broadcast channel, FS1, and Fox's news assets will remain at the slim down Fox. There's been rumors that other major kind of media and telecom conglomerates are looking to get into the process. Verizon reportedly approached Fox when they heard Disney was looking. Sony approached Fox and Comcast has made a hard run at Fox. But for reasons I'm sure we'll talk about, it seems like Fox is kind of really leaning towards Disney as the front runner. Deal could be announced as soon as next week. And I think it's a really interesting timing for the deal. You know, on the one side, you've got the media landscape is really massively changing with all these OTT players like Netflix and Amazon. And then on the other side, you have a lot of regulatory uncertainty from the AT&T and Time Warner lawsuit that we discussed in our last podcast. And also people are kind of shocked that the Murdochs are selling because they've been considered kind of traditional buyers and big empire builders in the media industry. So I have talked a lot. I'm going to turn it over to you. You know, why are the Murdochs considering selling now? And what do you think about the possible deals here? Well, first of all, it's a mega asset purchase, which doesn't roll off the tongue as well. Maybe we'll have an asset purchase Monday on Monday. Merger Monday sounds better, but I think that this is a good timing, good potential deal, very sound from the Fox perspective. I'm, I'm more quizzical from the Disney perspective, but from the Fox side, my understanding is that this is really actually driven by the second generation Murdochs. You know, I think that there's certainly cultural issues, kind of estate planning and not just estate planning, but kind of career planning going mm-hmm. on there. I think that from their perspective, uh, Disney would be the best fit for lots of reasons. I think that they might have a role there. And they're also, it's interesting, they're, they're transferring assets that they might be getting a very good price on, uh, still TBD, but probably could be a fine timing for that. But they are keeping the assets that would be harder in some ways to transfer from a regulatory perspective if you look at some of the issues involved in the AT&T Time Warner deal, right? Like you're you're holding on to news and sports and the things that have the higher need to have live and the more uh, must-have issues from a content antitrust perspective. And so I think that that is interesting. But it's also very interesting to me that Comcast is seriously trying to put their foot in the door here. While I don't think that deal, Comcast Fox, will happen, you know, you do see this on some of these kind of regulatory buzz saws. You can't, because it's a competitive game, just wait until everything's clear mm-hmm. and good and then say, well, I'll do my deal now because then you're going to have a lot more competition. Yeah. So look, I am shocked that now is the time, particularly with the Comcast. You know, that's Com- curious. It, look, everybody says AT&T Time Warner. Part of the reason the government hates it is they hated Comcast NBC. And some people think they might even on the heels of AT&T Time Warner try to break up Comcast NBC. If I were Comcast, I'd be keeping yeah. my head down right now because I think 
think it would be harder culturally for the DOJ just to raise the topic one day. But if Comcast tries to do something, it's conceivable that the government's going to come back and say, and another thing, we're, 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 and keep going once you undo the deal. I mean, that was a real issue with the AT&T T-Mobile deal where they said, we are not sure it's competitive yet. You know, they, 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 were, they had remaining concerns. I think they'd have remaining concerns. I think Comcast should stay real quiet right now. Yeah, so it's interesting. And some people have said, oh, well, Comcast owns NBC. They'll argue it's a horizontal merger. And I'm with you. I don't think they should be even thinking about it. But as you said, look, the Murdochs own some great assets here. They want to sell now. I'll talk about why they want to sell in a second. But if they want to sell now, they own great assets and you think you need these, you've got to kind of dance when they're willing to dance. So I, I think that makes sense. From the Murdochs perspective, I think the structures they've talked about have been very interesting. You know, I think when people first heard the Murdochs were looking to sell a piece of the business, not all of the business, people said, oh, but there's huge tax implications there. And as my as my main man, John Malone said at Liberty Day, when asked about this, he said, look, if you're willing to get creative, there's always a way to avoid tax issues. And here they're saying, hey, we'll take Disney stock. We'll sell off all the assets that we can that Disney wants. And we'll keep the assets that, as you said, would have a regulatory problem. You know, FS1, there's no way Disney could buy them because FS1 ESPN coming together. That's a, a huge regulatory problem. Fox News is probably something Disney doesn't want the headache of getting involved with. You know, the political the political fever there would not be great. And Iger like, wants to run for office. So. Iger might want to run for office. So uh, he, he obviously can't buy Fox News. And then uh, Fox Broadcast, you obviously can't buy that because that combines Fox and ABC. And that's just uh, that's not going to fly regulatorily. So I think they've structured this in a very creative way. As you said, I think if Iger, does, you know, his contract is up in 2019, a lot of people think he does want to run for office in 2020 or beyond. If he does want that, buying Fox, you know, he might be suggesting to, I, I think it's James Murdoch who would go over to the Disney side. James Murdoch would have a shot to not just be the CEO of Fox. He could be the CEO of all of Disney. So I think it's a clever structure for Disney. I think it makes sense for Fox. Uh, I don't know if you want to comment anything there, or I can tell you why Disney is kind of uh, thinking about this. You know, I, I wonder, I don't know what the relationship's like between Malone and Murdoch, but uh, if it's at all friendly, I, that's a phone call I'd be making in the process just to have him take a glance at this. I'd be very curious to know how he'd structure it precisely. You know, I, I haven't brushed up on the relationship recently, but I believe it would be at best frenemies. Malone kind of pulled one over on Murdoch when there there were all these issues and uh, Malone almost took control of the News Corp empire and I think he extracted a heavy bargain for uh, Rupert to keep control so of his empire. So he might not be getting that call. Point. But I, I'm not What do you familiar. think about from Disney's perspective? Yeah, so look, from Disney, I think the deal makes sense on a lot of angles. You know, you buy the Fox Studios so you get access to the X-Men movies and the Avatar movies. That's going to have huge synergies with your Marvel franchise. Disney already has an Avatar theme park inside of Animal Kingdom. So I think there's synergies on the movie studio side. When I think about, you know, Disney in 2019 says they want to roll out an ESPN direct to consumer offering and a Disney direct to consumer offering. Fox's catalog of TV shows, you know, MASH, It's Always Sunny, The Simpsons will really help fill out that direct to consumer offering on the Disney side. The regional sports networks are really going to be helpful for ESPN's direct to consumer offering. So I think all of that is interesting. You know, Fox, one of the things that's up for sale is their 30% stake in Hulu. You combine that with Disney's 30% stake in Hulu. They own 60%. That's a controlling stake. And, and you might be able to have some more shake loose from the Time Warner deal, yep. which they might have to jettison. So that's, I think that's very interesting. Hulu's obviously probably the third biggest streaming direct-to-consumer player, maybe the fourth if you're willing. But you know, the, it, you can start to see the semblances of a direct-to-consumer strategy from this big, scaled-up company. You know, I think it's interesting that Fox is saying, you know, Fox is big. And they're saying, hey, we're selling because we don't think we have enough scale to complete w- compete with the 
global Netflix, Amazon's players. And Disney is kind of buying because they're saying even Disney might not have enough scale. They might need to be bigger. You can see why they're doing it. I do think, you know, buying the FX networks, buying these RSNs that are really tied into the legacy cable bundle. I think that's really where the question is. But I, I can see the overarching views of a strategy here. I don't know if you want to say anything on that. Uh, yeah, just you look at the position that Amazon and Netflix, especially those two, are in. And you're either scrambling or you're quitting if you have any sense of how competitive that landscape is. I would also throw out that they're going to take at least some, if not, then come back and get all of Sky and Disclosure. I'm a shareholder, but that could be one that adds to the distribution side for Disney. Exactly. And Fox is, I think a lot of their international assets, they are interesting, they are valuable. But another thing I think Fox has looked at is said, hey, we don't have enough international global international distribution, so we probably need to sell that piece. Disney getting this as their global international distribution. So I think it's interesting on a lot of sides. Is this going to work? I don't know. You know, I think I was doing some numbers over the weekend. When you look at how much Netflix is investing in content and how much Amazon's going, how much Amazon can invest in content, I think it's difficult for these players to catch up. I think Netflix has a huge lead. They're not going to be the only winner. Disney's got some great brands, but you know, doubling down on the Fox assets, does that make more sense than kind of building out more of your own assets? I, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but it sure it certainly is interesting. And I think if you're a buyer and you're looking at assets that 15 other people want to get, and for legacy reasons, cultural reasons, maybe you're the you get an advantage bid. That's always interesting to me. So it will be super interesting. Anything else here, or do you want to turn over to tax reform? Tax reform. So tax reform. Look, one, two companies that are going to be big beneficiaries of tax reform: Disney and Fox. But you know, I think the Wall Street Journal ran some art- articles. One that really highlighted for us was they had an article on how hospitals and schools are rushing to raise tax-free funds now because the new tax bill will do away with the tax-free exemptions for hospitals and schools. And, you know, I think most business people are very in favor of tax reform. People are obviously going to love a corporate tax cut, but all the changing the tax code is a very blunt tool. It can have huge implications, both intended and unintended. So I wanted to turn it over to you, Chris. I know you focus on a lot on regulatory. Mm -hmm. What big consequences or even funny consequences intended, unintended are you seeing in the tax bill? Well, there are a few intended consequences here. It's not all unintended. And I really try to, as far as I can, call it stripping away the personalities and individuals involved who are for and against all this. And I would say that it's extremely good that they're going to be reducing the corporate tax rate. I I know some very good economists who met with House members, including liberal Democrats, who focused just on the economics of the corporate tax rate. And they said, Oh, of course we have to cut this. I mean, uh, off the record and aside from the politics and their votes, it's very clear that it's too high and uncompetitive. And a lot of the economics distortion comes from all the games that are played to avoid it. So I think that my corporate tax rate preference would be zero. I think they will get it down to 20 to 22. And that's a very good thing. Yeah. It, just jumping in there, like it's funny, the corporate tax rate, you know, we see so many companies, you think back to 2015, 2014, they were doing all these inversions to get their headquarters in, in Europe and specifically Ireland. You know, all these companies with uh, Google and a lot of the tech companies are famous for putting all their IP in Ireland so that they're they're reporting no U.S. income. And it's great for lawyers. It's great for tax accountants and stuff. It's awful for small businesses who don't have the international scale to play these types of games. So I'm with you. I think lowering the the corporate tax rate, we're biased because we're obviously 
owners of equity, which are impacted by the tax rate. But that's just no brainer to me. And, you know, as we enter into the Christmas season, I think that the real story of the Christmas story is the world's best tax system ever is what Caesar charged when they were going to Bethlehem, which is just a head tax, which has no economic distortion whatsoever. You look at the money you need to raise, you have everybody cough up their um, amount, and then you're done with it. The problem with this one is I think that this is the Republicans version of Obamacare procedurally, if in no other ways that this was rushed. And even though there is some good stuff here, part of the goal of a good tax reform is no arbitrage. If you look at the 86 reform, it's kind of like uh, streaking the campus. Everybody goes together and it's not as embarrassing. Uh, 2017, they're going to be kind of shrinking back into their dorms uh, on a lot of this stuff. A lot of it's going to be rolled back. I think the corporate tax rate is going to start creeping up from 20 to maybe 22 here uh, because there's no bipartisan partners. Uh, You know, you had Bill Bradley and other prominent Democrats who are a huge part of the reform dealing with President Reagan. You have none of those efforts, let alone successes today. And so it's going to make it weaker and it's going to make it much more uh, distortion. There's a lot more uh, garbage here. And uh, some of the garbage is going to be uh, funny. It's going to be exploitable. And there's going to be a lot of legal things people can do. The biggest impact in terms of change is something that I think is actually good public policy in a sense, but it's going to really transform things is if you eliminate the SALT deductions for the uh, local and state tax um, and if you eliminate or cut the mortgage interest deduction, you're going to have this just sea change in terms of home values and the attractiveness of the states out of areas like our New York and Connecticut and into areas like Texas and Florida. Yeah. And look, I mean, I think those are the the big obvious ones. Big obvious ones clearly may be a little politically motivated since higher tax jurisdictions tend to be bluer states Mm -hmm. and the, the Republicans who drove this through didn't really care about that. But I'm also really interested, you know, it seems like when you rush a process with this blunt of an instrument, you create a lot of times you can create loopholes. And that's why taxes need to be done very carefully. And you really need to think of every time you give an exemption. And I'm interested in the type of stuff, you know, we've already seen articles. We were just talking about one earlier where they were saying, hey, you know, if you're a business and you're leasing your space, create a second corporation that leases the space and then lease the space from that corporation and you'll create a huge deduction. And like the this tax code allows for that. Is it because a lot of the people in this government have a real estate background? Maybe. I don't know. But, you know, that type of stuff. We've heard about all sorts of other of these big loopholes that are actually their original purpose is to drive an economic benefit to someone. But I I think when you rush something like this through, you can create these huge misincentives. And there just seem to be quite a few of those in this bill, particularly along real estate lines and pass through lines where, you know, if you're a law firm, you you, you tell the law firm one because you were you were. So 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 the use of having and what we're talking about here is you're going to have a different individual rate a much lower corporate rate, then you also are going to have games that you can play for various pass-through entities. But one example, which I'm sure they're going to think of, because the first thing that's going to occur to these tax lawyers is how to treat all of their associates and create partnerships for associates. And I think that that's going to be one that they will probably do right away. Clearly not an equal partnership. So there's going to be kind of a junior partner and senior partner structure at all these Create a partnership so that instead of paying a salary, which gets a higher tax, just pass it through as ownerships through the partnership. And then that's a lower tax. The the one I really worry about here is there's a lot along uh, the lines of interest deduction for corporations, right? And I worry, it, it sounds reasonable to say, hey, you can only deduct 
30% of your EBITDA as an interest for, uh, interest expense for tax purposes. That sounds reasonable now, but if you're a company in a cyclical industry with a little bit of debt, you know, your earnings could be a hundred million this year, a billion next year, and negative 200 million next year. And all of a sudden in that negative 200 million year, you completely lose your tax shield on the interest. Well, I guess you wouldn't be paying taxes then, but you know, as you have wide swings, you can really lose the tax swing for your interest. That creates a very kind of cyclical amplifier when your tax shield goes away as your earnings go lower. You know, I worry, I really worry about things like that that seem to be baked into this tax bill. I think one of the things uh, for a little bit of uh, balance on the positive side, and I do have a lot of specific concerns here, but on the positive side, if you look at what Reagan did in terms of crushing inflation with a very strong central bank person who then came in and was able to crush inflation. I think that this could be an inflation crusher on a couple incredibly important areas where the government's third party paying and subsidies of college tuition, medical care and homes have driven just insane price increases, you know, from the mid 70s to now, all items growing at about 4%, but then homes growing closer to five, medical care at six and college tuition at over seven, which, you know, when you compound that annually for several decades means that these higher ones are, you know, a multiple uh, of where they were to begin relative to lower ends. And that's because of the government. So, yeah, congratulations. We get all these benefits, but we get benefits so that the actual price is much higher than it would be and pulling back from the tax subsidies, which if you think about at a national government level, you are taking money from that or requiring other taxes to be paid for fellow citizens in distant states, which have nothing to do with your locality and local things like that. And if they're not pro-growth and they don't benefit the economy, it's really a big question. A lot of the things that have had the worst inflation, that could start coming back down to earth. No, you know, I'm with you. And I think this is a topic for another time because we're running long on our podcast. But, you know, like... You look at some of these deductions, like specifically around school and education, you Mm -hmm. know, definitely it's been inflated, but a lot of that has been because, look, we are in a uh, intellectual capital economy and going to going to college, you know, it does have a huge payoff in the end. So is that something the government should be subsidizing and encouraging or not? You know, I'm not. Both sides of me say yes and no. You know, like I do think that is something that should be encouraged, but maybe, maybe the government, it's not the government's role, but yeah, I don't know. Anyway, I'll turn it over to you. Last thoughts. Several of the places that have the very best deals on the tax rates are also the places that happen to be hit by these storms. So if you're interested in getting the optimal tax status, Texas, Florida, and Puerto Rico has some amazing uh, bargains right now. <laughs> Keep your eyes open. Ooh, Puerto Rico, you gotta hope you get electricity there. Anyway, that's all the time we have for today. Before we hit our disclosures, just a quick reminder. If you like this podcast, the best way to get more is to recommend us to a friend and get them to start listening. Let's see. Disclosures. Chris, I think we mentioned Time Warner. We're long some of that. We mentioned Sky. We're long some of that. And we're short some AT&T against Time Warner. I think we mentioned that. Aside from that, I think I covered it. And we'll talk to everyone next week. Bye.